This morning we're going to be in James chapter 2, 14 through 26. It's a fantastic passage. And while you turn there, I titled this passage, You Say You're a Follower of Jesus, Act Like It. (laughs) So James is writing to... Primarily, he's writing to Jewish, Jewish followers of Jesus here. Throughout this section, he emphasizes what a believer should look like in the eyes of other people, in the eyes of non-believers and believers. He seeks to make a distinction between somebody who acknowledges Jesus with their head and who loves Jesus with their heart. In other words, he draws a distinction between a hypocrite and a true born-again Disciple of Jesus. In this section, we'll see the mindset of somebody who's only knee-deep in their faith. It's like when you're getting into a cool pool on a hot summer day. You know, it's, it's actually really easy and convenient just to, like, dip your toe in and just feel it. it's nice. Or you sit on the ledge and dangle your legs in, right? That's really cool. Um, feels nice. Not really committed. You know, you can just kind of walk off and your feet dry, nothing really, you, ha- you don't have to do anything. It's really easy just to get in up to your knees. It starts to get a little more challenging when the water gets up to your waist and then over your head. I mean, there's a moment where, like, there's this huge discomfort where your body just convulses and shivers because the cold is, I mean, it's such a shock, right? But then just after that moment, it's incredibly refreshing. It's incredibly incredibly rejuvenating, and it just feels so good. But you can never know what it feels like if you just get in knee deep. You can't have that refreshing feeling. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we welcome you here into this place. Lord, let us not just stand with our arms raised physically, but with our hearts, let us bow before you and, and give you all of the honor and glory. Let our hearts be moved this morning by your spirit, by your truth. God, help us to, to desire your refreshing water and dive full in head first this morning into your wonderful pool. Lord, give us the strength to to do and convict us this morning and help us to, to live a life that pleases you, to honor you with what we do. Help us not just to acknowledge you with our head, but fully believe in you with our souls and with all of our heart. Help us to love as you do. We ask this this morning that our hearts would be softened and be receptive to your truth and that we'd be moved by you. And that movement would move us to love others as you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to look at three main points. There are plenty of other points to look at, but I just want to look at three this morning. 
you can only experience as much of God's love as you want to. That's the first point. You can only experience as much of God's love as you want to. The second is this. There is a huge difference between somebody who acknowledges God with their head and who loves God with their heart. There's a huge difference. And the third is our actions do not earn us righteousness before God, but they reveal and they prove our faith and love of God to men. You all probably already agree with those statements that I've said, but what I want to do this morning is um, help you to believe them, not with your head, but with your heart. If we look at this passage in the first three verses, James says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. James's point here is pretty simple, and it's pretty clear. Your identity in the eyes of men is not found in what you say. It's not found in what you say about yourself and what you identify with. It's proven by your actions. Your values are revealed by the way that you live your life. In the church today, we have a common perception of faith and works, and, and it's an important thing to understand. Church today usually pounds the idea that you are saved by faith and not by works, and that is absolutely true. You are saved by faith and not by works. But what's happened is that we've forgotten all about the works. We've forgotten to look at the works, as if the works are actually totally insignificant. And you can, if you can just have faith... You don't have to worry about the doing. You don't have to worry about doing anything. So all the emphasis in our American church today is put on doing, or on, on believing and not on doing. Like, believing and doing are in contradiction with each other. Like, if you had to choose one, believing should win every time, and you shouldn't even have to worry about choosing the doing, the action. And we harp on, believe, believe, believe. And we forget to tell those who just believe to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Teaching them to obey. This is one of the reasons why there are so many people in our nation that are deceived into thinking that they are saved. Because identifying as a Christian doesn't always translate into obedience to Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is a great verse. Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that's where we stop. That's it. We stop right there. We look at the one verse, and that's all we give them. That's all we preach about. Because by faith alone, wow, that's easy. By faith alone, 
You mean I can just trust Jesus by simply believing in him and that's it? Well, well, yes and no. You see, we are convinced that so easily that we, if we know something, we believe it too. That if we know that Jesus died and rose again, then we're saved. Yay, check eternity off the list. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Next step, let's move on with my life. I can do what I want now. But if we look at that very next verse that Paul says in verse 10, he says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, with which God prepared in advance as our way of life. We were created to do good works. We were not created simply just to believe and move on. We were not created in life to know that Jesus is Lord in our heads and not let that knowledge penetrate our hearts. We have to believe that in the very bottom of our souls. That everything we do, everything we think, every single thing that we say is because of our love of Jesus and not our knowledge of him. That everything we do is because of our love of him and not our knowledge. Because knowledge, we know, does not translate to love. Our lives should be so consumed by Jesus that we love to obey him. That's what we find joy in because that's what we're made for. That's what that verse just said. We're God's workmanship, made to do good works that he prepared for us. I mean, he set the path for us to do good things. And that's what satisfies us fully. Let's stop dangling our legs in the water and jump fully in. And you know, I, I don't, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that we all have to go be missionaries overseas, give up everything we have, and go be, go be destitute somewhere in Africa and feed the poor. Like, that's not what he's saying. Like, if we look at this example here, James uses a very simple example. He doesn't use an extreme example, right? He uses something we can all relate to. He says, if you see a brother or sister who is in need of clothes or food, do something about it. Don't just wish it better to make yourself feel better because you care. You know, caring is going to the store and buying the clothes or giving them shelter in your house. You know, being willing to be uncomfortable to, to take care of that need. Caring is showing him how much you care by your action, not by your empathy. We all have the ability to help our neighbors in their times of need. Don't, don't ignore that, that calling, that push to help somebody just because it's uncomfortable or it's challenging. Don't dip your toe in the water. Don't just, don't just get that little bit of refreshment. Don't let yourself be satisfied with a knee-deep faith. Start loving the world through what you do. If we look at the next two verses. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. What are the two greatest commandments? We know these from, from Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven, 37 and 39, where Jesus is asked a question by the religious leaders. 
And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. Notice they're commandments. Commands compel us to do something. Not just to know it. Love is an action. Love compels us to take action. Because love without action isn't really love at all. You know, I like to use this example. I can say all day that I love Pepsi. But the reality is, those of you who know me know that I drink Coke. I can say all day that I love Pepsi, but the reality is all I ever drink is Coke. I don't like Pepsi. We went to dinner last night, and I asked for a Coke, and they said we have Pepsi, and I got really disappointed. (laughs) But I got Pepsi because I had to. But, you know, the reality is I don't love Pepsi. I like Coke a lot more than that. give you another example. Um, I can say all day that I'm a PE teacher. And and honestly, I often do consider myself a PE teacher. But the reality is, I'm not a PE teacher. I've never taught PE. I've taught PE in a closed setting with a very experienced teacher watching me, giving me guidance and feedback. That's as close as I've gotten to actually teaching real physical education on my own. I'm prepared to teach PE. I've got a degree, a four-year degree, to teach health and physical education. But I don't teach PE. I have the knowledge. I just don't do it. So can I call myself a PE teacher? No. I sit in an office behind a desk at a computer all day. That's not teaching PE. I might watch PE videos, but... (laughs) Let me say it a different way. You can say that you love your children, but how do other people know that? How do other people know that you love your children? There are plenty of people who say they love their children. It's because you give them good things. You teach them. You discipline them. You give them gifts. You show them affection, etc., etc. It goes on. Your love for your children is evident in how you raise them and how you treat them. Likewise, your love for God is evident in how you love other people. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God doesn't need to see your actions to know if you are sincere. Because he sees you. He knows you. But people don't know that. People have to see your actions to know what you care about. Our testimonies before other people depend on how we live before them. Let's switch gears for just a moment. Do you think the devil knows who God is? Do you think he knows that God is all-powerful? Do you think he knows that God created the world? Sure. Do you think that he believes in heaven and hell? Do you think that the devil believes in God? Yeah, you bet. Do you think that he believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later? You betcha he does. He was there. So what makes you so different from him? Think about it. It's not your knowledge that separates you from the likes of demons. We look at 
throughout the New Testament, throughout Jesus' life, there are many times he encounters demons. And what happens every time almost that he encounters a demon? They say, oh no, that's Jesus, the Son of God. They acknowledge who he is. They know exactly who he is. They know the power in his name. They know the authority he has. They know who Jesus is. So what's the difference? It's your relationship with Jesus that's the difference. It's who Jesus is to you. It's your love for God. Because do you think demons love God? Now answer these questions. Do you think the devil loves God? Do you think that Jesus is the devil's redeemer? Is Jesus his rock, his living water, his strength in the tough times? No way. No way. But he is that, or he can be that to you this morning. You see the difference there? The difference is a knowledge within your head and a heart knowledge. The difference is proven by your love for God. That's the difference. And in the eyes of men, your love for God is proven by what you do. You know, I wasn't going to do this, but I, think it's, it's, I just think it's important for us to really evaluate where we are with our relationship with God. So one thing I was thinking about doing, just answer these questions to yourself. Okay, I'm going to ask the questions again, but answer them to yourself. Do you love God? Do, do, is Jesus your redeemer? Like, is he, is he your rock? Is he your living water? Is he where you go when things get really, really challenging? When things are really tough, when you don't really know what to do, everything is foggy, and you have to make these decisions that you just aren't wise enough to make. Do you go to Jesus? Because you know that that's where your love is. If we look at the next six verses here, James says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So I, I want to clear something up here um, real quick that you may be wondering. I, I don't want it to sound like our faith in Jesus is insignificant, okay? because that's not the reality. Because, to be honest, if you don't have faith, you are not going to have the works to prove it. So you have to have that faith first. And it may be easy to confuse this passage with 
some of the things that Paul says in his letters um, that sound like they contradict each other, um, just as like we read in Ephesians there. A good way of explaining the difference is this quote, and I'll explain the quote as I read it. Together, Paul and James give the full dimension of faith, so the full entirety, the full spectrum as viewed by all points of view. Paul wrote about the inner saving faith from God's perspective. So he wrote about the sincere faith that God can see. Remember, we talked about how God doesn't have to see your actions to know if you're sincere or not, right? So it's that, that inner faith God sees and understands. James wrote about an outward serving faith from man's perspective. So the way that other people see your faith, the, other, the way that other people know that you believe. The true seed of saving faith is verified by the tangible fruit of serving faith. So this is actually a pretty good little analogy. He hints towards like a tree, right? So the true seed of saving faith, so the the sincere faith is like a seed that you plant in the ground, um, and you know that the the seed is good and fruitful if you start seeing things coming out of the ground, right? If you plant a seed like an apple tree or something, I don't know how long it grows, but just like, a year later, you don't see anything growing, there's a good chance that it wasn't a good seed and there's nothing below the surface if you dig it up. The seed's probably not there anymore, right? But if you have a sincere faith, you plant that seed and the tree grows, right? And you start seeing stuff grow up, you know that there's something underneath the ground, the roots, that are feeding what's growing up. So you kind of can see the fruit of the faith. So if the faith is the seed and the fruit is, or the, the, um, Works is the fruit, the evidence of that seed in the root system. So when Paul's referring to works here, he's usually talking about works of the law and the false attempt to earn salvation. That's what Paul's referring to. James speaks of works as the result of true salvation. So the fruit of your love for Christ. And there's, you see, there's not really a contradiction there. They actually work together together. You know, Paul is speaking of this vertical relationship before you and God positionally, where you're at by your faith. James is speaking about this horizontal relationship with other people that um, your, how your works prove your faith to other people, that horizontal relationship. You know, Paul says, it is by saved we are faith, we are saved, not by works. James speaks of it um, as before other people, our faith before other people. So James is saying here that Abraham's faith was proven genuine by his obedience to God's command. His faith made his good works possible. Good works are the fruit of saving faith. So just a quick background on these these stories. I'm not going to go into great detail if you haven't read about Abraham or Rahab. I highly recommend you go back and look. Um, They're really good stories, and honestly, you can do many sermons on each of them. So just bear with me as we just hint at them and touch at them. If your curiosity is piqued, go read them. Um, And then ask questions later. So Abraham, God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many descendants, of many nations, right? So God made this promise, and Abraham believed deeply that God would fulfill this promise in him. Now, Abraham, at this point that God made him this promise, Abraham was too old to have kids, and so was his wife. So it's kind of crazy, but imagine that. God's always faithful to his promises. He gave them a child. So Abraham has this single child 
that he knows that God's promise is going to be fulfilled through this child, that he'll have many descendants. Well, then God asks him to do something crazy that God clearly doesn't condone in the rest of Scripture. God asks him to sacrifice his own son. Can you imagine Abraham at that time? Like, you promised this to me, and now you want me to sacrifice the the promise that you gave me? That's pretty challenging. But Abraham fully believed in his heart that if Abraham, in obedience to God, sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. He fully, with all of his heart, believed that God would not take Isaac, his only son. And as Abraham was in the process of fulfilling that command, God sent an angel and stopped him. So Abraham's faith right there was proven by his action. It was proven that he was willing to go the full length, the full distance for God. In the same way, Rahab, so the Israelites, God promised Israelites um, this a big amount of land. And so the Israelites were just now entering, starting to enter the promised land. And one of the first cities they came to is a city called Jericho, which is very heavily fortified, huge walls around it. Um, There were homes in the walls and everything. And before they wanted to siege the city, they sent some spies into the city. Well, these spies got in a little bit of trouble and were running from from the guards. And they ended up hiding in Rahab's house. And Rahab sheltered them. And when the guards came to her, she basically said, no, they didn't come in here or they went the other direction. She, she def- deflected and sent the guards off in another direction so that our, the spies were saved. Well, the spies still had an issue of how do they get out of the city now, so well, Rahab lived on the wall. So she lowered them out of a window out of, out of the city, and they escaped safely. Um, because she was faithful in doing that, her, her life was saved. And it's such a cool story because later the Israelites march around the city and they blow these trumpets and things, and the wall just falls. I mean, crazy. Read the story. It's, it's awesome. Um, but there's one portion of the wall that didn't fall, and that was, that was Rahab's, Rahab's home. And it's because she was faithful um, and believed. James uses two Old Testament examples here. But there's, there's a third example that I want to use. So, even Jesus commands his disciples to be known by their love. He says while they're at the Last Supper, just before he is betrayed, he's talking to his disciples there, and in John 13, 34, and 35, he says, Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let the world know us by our love. Our love for Jesus, our love for each other, and our love for other people. So just to clear it up even a little bit more, just in case there's any kind of confusion, I'd like to read a small paragraph written by a guy named Mark Devine. Um, I'm sure he's way more intelligent than I am, so he probably can explain it a lot better than I can. So in this, it's the idea that salvation is not gained through works, but rather good works are the fruit of a saving faith in Christ. Um, He says, the faith that saves is not mere historical faith or a bare belief that what the Bible declares is true is in fact true. A faith that merely flits in the brain and saves nobody. So what he's saying there is simply by believing that what is said in the Bible is true is not enough to save you. 
And that, that's the faith that James says. He says, of such faith, James could say, the demons also believe and they shudder. No, the faith that saves the soul is a trusting faith, so that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This trusting faith is the faith in Christ's blood, which Paul spoke. Faith that relies upon the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in the place of sinners. There, Jesus bore the punishment of sinners upon himself so that now God promises to treat as righteous those who believe in his name. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So now, listen here. All who repent of their sins, all who abandon hope of being made right with God on the basis of their own good works, and all who trust only in the mercy of God offered in the death of Jesus Christ in their, in their place will be saved. You know, our ultimate example of how we should live our life is found in Jesus and how he lived his life. In all things that Jesus commands us to do, there's nothing that he hasn't done first. Jesus didn't come to this earth to simply live as one of us and then go back to heaven. You know, Derek prayed it this morning. You know, God could have just left us here. He could have just left us, but he didn't. He didn't come knowing, Jesus didn't come knowing that he was God and then doing nothing and reserving his power for himself. He didn't do that. Jesus came to display his love for us. Jesus came to show us his love for us. He didn't have a head knowledge of his love for us. He loved us as deeply as love can possibly go. He loved us so much that he died for us. And not only did he die, he sacrificed himself and he endured God's wrath for us. That's worse than death. So, an example, his wondrous work, his death on the cross, what he was willing to do for us, that led to the opportunity for us to partake in his amazing grace, in his grace. So because of that, we are invited just, we are invited to love just as he loved us and to do good things just as he did good things for us. Not in a vain attempt to earn our salvation, but in a way to partake in the salvation that's already been paid for. He has given us the chance of an eternity full of the utmost fulfillment of our souls by diving fully into his refreshing waters. See, Jesus is a wonderful, never-ending spring that he offers us to fully partake in. But he will never force us to get in. He'll never force us to get further than knee-deep. He allows us to get in just as much as we want. So if you want, we can simply just dangle our toes in, or we can get up to our knees and just get that little bit. But that is not where salvation's found. Salvation's found in plunging yourself fully into his refreshing waters. So if you haven't yet experienced it, I say dive in this morning. Feel his spirit working in your soul and let it overcome you.
Don't be deceived into thinking that just because you believe in Jesus and you're... Don't be deceived that just because you believe in Jesus that you are redeemed and that excuses you from being obedient. Rather, let your love for Christ and your hope in His salvation drive you to offer that same love to other people. As we transition into our open time this morning, I I really implore you not to resist the moving of the Spirit in your soul. Allow yourself to be renewed by the love of God and be drawn into Him by your love for Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this wonderful morning. Thank You so much for Your Scripture that we can read and and be moved by, Lord. Thank You so much that that You didn't just leave us here. Thank You so much Lord Jesus, for coming and living a life of example. For facing temptation, for overcoming temptation, for loving the poor. For bringing good news and giving us salvation. For dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much that you were willing to take action and to redeem us from our distraught situation to remove the sin and take the sin on yourself. And Lord, if, if, if that doesn't move us, I don't know what can. So Lord, move our hearts for us. God, just as you say in, in early in James, if we lack wisdom, ask for it without doubting. God, we need you to move our hearts, to compel us, reveal your love to us that that we would love you in return with the same love that you love us. God, in the same way that Jesus came and died on the cross and and proving his love for for us, let us prove our love to the people around us in our lives. Let us get our hands dirty in the lives of those around us, not ignoring their problems. But if we see someone at work who's having a bad day, let's ask them about it. Help us to do that. Give us the boldness and courage to do that. And Lord, not for the the sake of making ourselves feel better, but, but, but for the glory of you and your name, that they would know that Jesus' followers, people who, who love Jesus, love the world and love people, love the people in it. This world needs your love more than ever. And you chose us to be that medium. You chose us to be your love to the world. Let us feel that in our souls, not in our heads, not just in our heads. Let us prove our love for, your, for the, the people on this earth by our actions. God, be glorified in all that we do and make your love known to the world through us. Move our souls this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood and the sacrifice on the cross that your wrath was poured out on him and it doesn't have to be poured out on us. This morning we keep our eyes fixed on you give you all the honor and glory.